thank everybody for coming out today and for staying. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 6. And as many of most have been doing over the past few weeks, they've been telling their testimonies of how the Lord has reached and saved them. I'm going to do the same here today. Turn, please, to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll reread that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And turn back, please, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 36. Well-known verse to many here. John 3 and 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I'll reread that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You know, we get up here and seek to preach the gospel every week. Different one of us takes turns, but in a year many most of us will speak probably ten to twelve times up here, each of the brethren here. And I know that everyone prepares messages and thinks or hopes that their message can be used of the Lord. And I know that you listening in the audience sometimes think that that message wasn't very good probably or that wasn't very interesting or there could have been things that were better about that. And we know this. We still seek to try to do our best up here. And you know, I was thinking about this it's not that we get up here and we speak to achieve some grade as if we were in a speech class or to sell some product as if we're making a sales pitch or to present to some boss at work so that we make ourselves look good and don't embarrass ourselves and our team and all those other things. Because frankly, if we stumble through the worst message and are the worst speakers on the face of the planet, but something is said that can be used of God to convict you of your sins and your need for salvation, then it's well worth it. Any embarrassment that we would suffer would be well worth it. So we know that it's not great speaking that you hear and it's not always all that interesting, but we do it because the importance of the matter that we speak about, and that is where your soul is going to spend eternity. It's not complex. Sometimes we may make it too hard. It's not trivial. Sometimes we may make it seem too trivial. It's a very serious matter. There is nothing more important. And until you come to the realization that there's nothing more important, you're not going to be saved. 
That's the biggest thing in my own personal testimony that I had to come to the realization of was that I needed salvation and that it was the most important thing in the whole world. Now going back in time, I can remember back to some of my youngest memories from when I was four or five years old. I can remember being in gospel meetings. I can, we lived just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the time in McKeesport. And I can remember going out to Sunday night gospel meeting on a very regular basis and listening to the word that was spoken. I can remember there were some good gospel preachers in that assembly. And I can remember hearing them. And I also remember, can remember that there were many preachers that would come to that assembly and preach. And I can remember those meetings very well. I sat under the sound of the gospel every Sunday for as long as I can remember. I was in Sunday school where I also heard more of the gospel. And I was in special series of gospel meetings where we would hear the gospel, go to meeting every single night of the week, and hear the gospel preached for sometimes four, five, six weeks at a time. And I can remember when I was pretty young, probably six or seven years old, I can remember being concerned about the fact that I wasn't saved. At that time, my biggest fear was that the Lord would come because, you know, there's a couple things that are going to happen that could severely affect your chances of getting saved, ever. One would be that you die. If you die, you're never going to have another chance to be saved. The other would be if the Lord comes. If the Lord comes, He's going to take all of those that are saved away. And we read in the Scriptures here that those who remain are going to believe a lie. Going to believe that some one who sets himself up, is everybody's going to believe him, and therefore you're not going to be able to believe and be saved after the Lord comes. When I was that young, I wasn't all that worried about dying. I was more worried about the Lord's coming. And to be quite frank, I wasn't all that worried that when the Lord came, I wouldn't have another opportunity to be saved at that point in my life. I was more worried that when the Lord came, virtually everybody I knew would be taken away because I, my parents, my friends at the time, my relatives, it seemed like they were all saved. And I wasn't. And I knew that if the Lord came, that my parents would be taken away and I would be left there. I'd be left as a seven or eight year old boy in the world all by myself. You know, I actually used to think, and this is a terrible thought, but you know, I used to think, what would I do if the Lord came and I wasn't saved? And you know what? I had an aunt and an uncle that weren't saved. And I figured I'd probably give them a call because they'd at least be somebody who I would know. You know, that aunt and that uncle, I still to this day don't know that they're saved. I thank the Lord that I never had to give them a call because the Lord came. Because they still have an opportunity to be saved and thank the Lord that I got saved. But you know, I used to think these things and I used to be worried. I used to know I really wanted to be saved. But I really wanted to be saved because I just didn't want to be alone when the Lord came. And that was really, that I think was why I didn't get it because that wasn't the real thing I needed to be saved from. 
The thing I needed to be saved from were my sins. And so while I wanted to be saved at that time, it was because I wanted to not be alone. Not because I wanted to be saved from the eternal punishment for my sins. And so, I talked to preachers at that time. I can remember talking to a couple of them on the phone. I can remember them reading me some verses. I can remember talking to my parents. And I didn't get it. I can remember laying awake at nights and being very, very concerned about the fact that I wasn't saved and that I needed to be saved. But I didn't get it. Years, a couple years passed. I would only sporadically, my interest would get more and less in salvation. And I would sometimes be very concerned, sometimes after a solemn gospel meeting, especially after a particular hymn, Almost Persuaded was sung, I would go home and I would think, okay, I really, I really should get saved. I'm not saved if something happens to me, if something happens to my parents, and they, or, or if the Lord comes. I, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved and I want to be saved. I, wanted, I really did want to be saved. And there were times when it really was very, very important to me. But you know, I didn't get it. I would struggle, but I wouldn't get it. I can remember I had a great head knowledge of how to be saved from my very youngest. It was easy. I heard, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I think probably anybody here can quote that verse easily. Or quote, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can tell you how to be saved. In fact, before I was saved, I can remember my sister was in soul trouble and struggling. And the Lord was convicting her. And she knew she wanted to be saved. And I can remember I was two years older than her. I was probably nine or ten at the time. Maybe eight, eight nine, ten, something like that. And I can remember telling her, Joel, all you have to do is believe. And I wasn't saved. I could tell other people how to be saved. But I wasn't. My sister got saved before I did. She came to the realization that she needed to be saved and she put her trust in the Lord. I knew how to be saved, I thought. I could tell people how to be saved from a purely knowledge of this, well, hopefully I've gained a little more knowledge of the Scripture, but knowledge of some basic Bible verses. I probably could have spoken the Gospel as good back then as I can now in terms of some, from some basic Bible verses because I knew them. I had to memorize lots of verses. I knew every verse that could tell you how to be saved. We even had the Bible in our house that it had, it was a sort of a chain type of a thing where you would start in the very beginning and it would say to go to this scripture and, and it was all these, it would take you to the, from one scripture to the next scripture, all these good gospel scriptures that could help one get saved. I would go through that and I would look up these references I would read the verses, I would understand them, but yet I wasn't saved and I wasn't getting saved. More time passed. Our family made a move to Connecticut when I was about 10 years old, I guess, and there was a lot of adjustments that came with that, adjusting to new schools and all those sorts of things to coming to a new assembly here in Brookfield. And 
my interest in salvation as I was getting older and as I was starting to realize more and more things that the world had to offer was get, growing a lot less. I was more interested with trying to fit in at school and with all of those things. I had friends that I needed to worry about and, you know, try and get more friends and try and become more popular and do this and do that, do the other thing. And as time progressed, 10, 11, 12 years old, I passed through all those years not saved. I would occasionally be interested and I'd occasionally be concerned, but the concern wasn't like when I was younger. It was never as deep. See, the Spirit of the Lord, when I was young, had really striven with me. That means He really, the Spirit was really trying to get me to be saved. Really put a concern in my heart. And as I got older, I learned to overcome that concern. It was not a good feeling when the Lord would strive with me because I would know that I wasn't saved. And so, when we feel things that aren't pleasurable, that are unpleasant, we eventually, most of us, will learn to overcome them. That's a sad thing. We overcome the Lord speaking to us by filling our lives with all kinds of other things. And that's largely what I had done. But the good thing is, the fortunate thing is, is that the Lord did not give up on me. Because even though I had many, many opportunities to be saved, even though I heard the gospel literally hundreds, think about it, probably, I would say a thousand times by the time I was 12 or 13 years old, with all the special meetings and Sunday school and everything like that, I heard the gospel a lot. There was a lot of times when I was concerned and I had the opportunity to be saved and I didn't get saved. But the Lord didn't give up and the Spirit was still striving with me. And I can remember though for a couple year period of going through a couple years and not having even so much as what's called an anxious thought. And all that we mean by that is a thought that I really need to be saved. I can remember going through a couple years without feeling that after feeling it all the time. And you know what? It didn't feel that bad. When the Spirit wasn't striving with me, I wasn't upset about not being saved. And so in a way, I knew I wasn't saved, and I knew I needed to be saved eventually, but 99% of the time, it didn't bother me. I didn't think about it. But I'm thankful that there came a time when I became so bothered about it that a change took place. There was a series of meetings that were here in this hall. started late in 1988 with Bob Sergener. And Bob Sergener came and preached in the ministry and he ended up staying for five weeks of ministry meetings, a very long time for a series of ministry meetings. And he would speak the gospel on Sundays. And to be quite frank, I found Mr. Surgeoner's speaking style interesting because he was usually fairly amusing. In almost every meeting, with the exception of some of the gospel meetings, you would somehow laugh or smile or something about something that he said because he 
probably someone intentionally tried to be funny. And this kind of speaker was somebody who I listened to. And so I did listen to him. And when he would speak the gospel, I would listen to him. I always listen. I never didn't listen, but some people I was easier able to tune out. Mr. Surgeoner, for any that haven't heard him, is not somebody who's easy to tune out. He screams a lot. He's very, very loud. And so, if you're not paying attention, he'd pound the podium and scream, and you would pay attention. And I remember one night, it must have, I, think it, I guess it was January 8th of 1989, Mr. Surgeon spoke, it was a Sunday night, and he spoke in the gospel. So when we had the gospel meeting on Sunday nights instead of in the afternoon. And he spoke in the gospel, and I'll tell you, I liked listening to him, and I liked listening to his messages. But I hadn't had so much as an anxious thought in a couple of years. But that night, he spoke... And I can't tell you everything he spoke upon. In fact, I don't remember hardly any of it. But I do remember this. That he painted the most vivid picture of heaven and the most vivid picture of hell that I have ever, to that point, and probably since, felt has ever been portrayed. In his fiery style, he painted such a vivid picture of hell the picture of heaven was nice, but frankly it wasn't. It paled in comparison to the picture he painted of hell. And I left that meeting that night very concerned because I realized that is not a place that I want to be. You know, I've been listening to some a book recently on tape and they're talking about, they're answering some various questions and one of them about faith and things like that. And One of, one of them is, is well, how could, a, how could a loving God banish people to eternal punishment in hell? You know, if God's truly a God of love, why would he do that? And the answer is, is because it's not that God chooses for us to go to hell. We choose to reject God and when we choose to reject God, we're choosing not to be in His presence. We're choosing not to be on His side, whatever the case may be. And therefore, the only place where we could be sent would be a place where there, God is not. And that's hell. But you know, hell is also a place of eternal torment. It's clear in the Scriptures. We read that there's unquenchable flames. We read that there's utter darkness. You know, some people say that, well, how can there be flames and yet still be darkness? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you right now, it's going to be a, great, a place of great suffering. It's going to be a place of suffering beyond what any of us could imagine both in the physical realm, I firmly believe, and also, much more so, in the mental, emotional, spiritual realm. As you'll recall, every opportunity that you had to be saved, every time the Lord spoke to you, 
and said, you know what? You should be saved. And you're not going to necessarily... When I say when the Lord spoke to you, I'm not expecting you to hear a voice or something like that. All that I mean is, you know, when a thought pops into your head, when you're listening to a gospel message or when you're out doing something or whenever it is, when a thought pops into your head, you know what? I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. That thought, that's the Lord speaking to you. That is the Spirit of the Lord who's putting that thought in your mind. Hell is an awful place. And we're all sinners. We all deserve to be there. There's one that died on the cross, as we all know, to save those of us that are sinners. You know what I think? You know what I think is going to be the worst thing for those that are in hell? They're going to regret all the sins that they committed in their lives. Certainly. They're going to regret all the bad things that they might have done. But it's going to be nothing compared to the regret that you're going to feel as you realize, I rejected the Son of God. That's the reason I'm here. That's the reason I'm here in hell. Because I rejected the free salvation which was offered to me. There were things more important to me. There were other things that I wanted to do. There were those times when the Lord would strive with me. They were unpleasant times. I didn't like those. And so I overcame them. I got to the point where I became callous. And I was no longer concerned. Friend, I, I sure hope, as we all do, that no one here ever ends up in hell. Because it's an awful place where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. An awful place. And that night, Mr. Surgeoner painted such a vivid picture of that awful place that it awoke me to the fact that I really needed to be saved again. That night I went home, went down to my room, and I was quiet and I read through some scriptures. I had trouble getting to sleep that night. Somehow the I was able to. I was able to put these thoughts out of my mind and get to sleep. That's not good. I was able once again to overcome the spirit of the Lord that was striving with me. Said, you know, sleep's more important to me. Or just getting these thoughts out of my head is more important to me. I don't like thinking this. I don't like feeling these things. And so I got to sleep that night. You know, that could have very well been the last time that the Lord ever strove with me. Since I'm standing here, though, it wasn't. And I'm thankful for that. I rejected the Lord many, many times. And yet I still had another opportunity to be saved. That's the grace that God shows us. The next night we went to meet, I went to school that day, didn't give the previous night a thought all day long. Didn't even think about anything. Didn't think about the hell that Mr. Surgeoner talked about. Didn't think about how concerned I was the night before. Went through my day, got home, got dressed for meeting, went to meeting, listened to Mr. Surgeoner, probably laughed a few times, came home. And then it was time for bed again. And the thoughts that were bothering me the night before, 
that I needed to be saved, that I really, really needed to be saved, started coming back. And I thought to myself, I really do need to be saved. I thought to myself there for a while. I remember I went upstairs into the living room and sat there for a while. remember I went back down to my room. I was really concerned. I was more concerned probably than I had ever been. I had really worked myself up pretty bad. I don't think it was really me working myself up. I think it was the Spirit of the Lord convicting me. And fortunately, I hadn't yet said no and I hadn't decided, okay, tonight's not the night I'm going to fall. I'm going to just fall asleep. I started paging through my Bible. I started looking at all the verses that I knew. I started looking them up. I looked through everything that I knew of how to be saved. I went verse after verse. I could have quoted you more verses then than I can now. And I was frantic as I was paging through my Bible. And all of a sudden I came to this realization. You know what? Me who could speak the gospel then probably nearly as well as I could now in terms of from a purely gospel mechanical point of view. I could tell my sister how to be saved when I wasn't saved. I could do all these things. I came to this startling realization. For all that I knew, for the thousand or so, however many thousand gospel meetings I had sat in and heard the sound of the gospel, for all that I knew, I came to this realization, I don't know how to be saved. That was shocking for me. Because for me, that was when I finally realized that I was a lost sinner in need of salvation. Up to that point, I always thought, you know, I would listen to people tell their testimonies and they would say, it wasn't until I really came to an end of myself and I realized that I needed to stop whatever I was doing and just rely on the Lord. I would try to come to an end of myself. I'd say, okay, if I need to come to an end of myself, I want to do that. How do I do that? How do I believe? How do I trust? How do I do this? How do I do that? I would try all these things. But you know what? The more of those things that I tried, the more it was me trying to do something to attain salvation. The more it was me trying to think that there was something in and of myself that was going to be good enough that I could do something to obtain salvation. And that night I finally came to the realization there's nothing good enough inside of me. In fact, there was way too much and everything that was bad inside of me. And I needed salvation. There was no amount of good works that I could do. There was nothing that I could do to obtain salvation. And that night I came to realize that. I realized I was a lost sinner and that I was destined for hell. And I actually said to myself, when I came to that realization that I wasn't going to be saved or that I didn't know how to be saved, I actually said to myself, I don't know how to be saved, so I guess I'm just going to have to go to hell. That was when I really realized I was lost. But then I also said to myself, the Spirit, once I came to realize I was lost, the Spirit was there to remind me. But you don't have to go to hell. And then I thought to myself, I'm a lost sinner. There's nothing else I can do. All I can do is put my trust in the Savior. It's the only thing I can rely on. 
And then I said to myself, then I must be saved. It was when I said to myself, then I must be saved, that was when I put my faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. My sins. He died there for me. And that by believing it, by putting my trust in it, that was all that I needed to be saved. See, it's not about a head knowledge. There's people that hear the gospel for the first time ever who have never attended church in their lives that get saved. It's not about how much you know about the Bible or anything else about that. It's not about anything, the family that you're born into or anything like that. And I believe me, I was fortunate to be born into my family where I heard the gospel on a regular basis. But it's not about that. It's all about what you do with the gospel. It's all about what you do when the Spirit strives with you. It's all about what you do when faced with the opportunity to be saved or to reject Christ. Which do you do? You know, there's a lot of people that have passed into eternity who have heard the gospel hundreds of times, thousands of times in their lives. Who people who were close to them could tell you the Spirit was at times striving with them that never got saved. You know, friend, I, I don't know if it was just that they got, grew so callous that the Spirit couldn't get through to them anymore. I don't know if the Spirit stopped striving with them because we do read that in the Scriptures. My Spirit shall not always strive with men. I don't know what it was, but I know that there's people that pass into eternity having been very concerned about their souls at times in their life and never getting saved. I wasn't one of those people, or I won't be one of those people when I pass into eternity because the Spirit was patient with me and strove one last time, and I got saved. Friend, I can't force you, we can't force you into being concerned about your soul, being concerned about salvation. All we can do is get up here and speak the gospel and hope that the Spirit can use some of the words which are said to convict you of your sins so that you'll realize you're a lost sinner. I can't tell you, I mean, I can, I can tell you everything I did to be saved and, you know, I'd love to be able to write a formula on the wall and say you do this, this, that, and the other thing and you'll be saved. Because, you know, before I was saved I would have found that easy. But you know what? That would have been me doing something. And that was what I had to realize. It wasn't me doing anything. All that I had to do was realize I was a lost sinner and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He provided salvation there upon the cross. He died there for your sins and mine. And all that I had to do was put my trust in it. Yesterday we drove over to Newburgh, New York, my father and I. And we were sitting on the Newburgh or Beacon Newburgh Bridge in a traffic jam, sitting there for an hour on the bridge. And before we started going on the bridge, I know my, my father said to me, he says, I hate bridges. And he says, do you really think that this is engineered for all these cars and trucks to be sitting on here at one time? There was an accident up ahead and we were literally stopped. And as we're sitting on it, he's like, I hate bridges. You know what? And I said to him, I said, I would imagine that the engineers who built this bridge probably engineered it so that the whole bridge could be absolutely full of the heaviest trucks that are allowed on the road and still wouldn't fall down. You know what? I could have had all the engineering specs. I could have known that. I was guessing that. I could have known that for a fact. And stood there on that one side of the bridge. We could have parked our truck right there on that one side of the bridge and said, I believe, I believe, I believe it can hold us. But it wasn't until we drove out onto it that we put our faith in it. It's the same thing with salvation. 
You can have all the head knowledge you want to. You can want to be saved. You can do everything you want to do. You can quote scriptures like crazy. But until you put your trust in what the Lord has done, you won't be saved. Putting our trust in that bridge meant driving out onto it. Not saying we trust in it. Not saying we believe in it. Not telling other people it's safe, it's good to believe on, but actually going out onto it ourselves. Salvation's the same way. Friend, realize you're a lost sinner. It's all that I did. I had to come to realize that I needed salvation. Once I did, salvation was easy because I didn't have to do anything. It was very plain. Trust in the Lord. It's all I could do. There was nothing else left to do. Trust in the Lord. Put my trust in Him. Put my faith in Him. Not believe about Him. Believe in Him. And I was saved. That was January 9th of 1989. So for 16, over 16 years now, I've been saved. And the Lord has been wonderful. He has blessed me in many, many ways. Friend, I don't know how many more times the Spirit is going to strive with you. I don't know how many opportunities you're going to have to be saved. But if He's speaking to you now, if He speaks to you tonight, don't turn Him away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know if the Spirit's going to stop striving with you. You don't know if you're going to grow so callous you're going to overcome them. You don't know if that something could happen where you'll suffer some sort of death. Friend, be saved while you have an opportunity. It's the most important thing on the planet. There's nothing more important right now for you, for any of us, than your salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3 and 36 we read, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He that believeth on, believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You can have it. You can have everlasting life simply by believing on Him. But the last part of that verse is there too. It's not a penalty-free environment. If you don't believe, the wrath of God abideth on you. You're rejecting His Son. Believe today. Be saved today. It is the best decision you could ever make. It's the best decision I ever made and will ever make. And we hope that everybody here will be saved. In closing, I'd like to sing number 251. Number 251. Almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive, seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. O wanderer, come. I want to sing all three verses of number 251. And then the meeting will be closed. First we'll pray.